Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I am joined as always with my incredible co-host Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello Biagio! Ciao a tutti! Welcome, welcome to another great episode. For this episode, technology and who is really hiring us, the Gateway is happy to have Dr. Elizabeth Wilkins. Dr. Wilkins is the coordinator of graduate career and professional development for Northern Illinois University. Dr. Wilkins holds a PhD in curriculum and instructions from Southern Illinois University. Dr. Wilkins oversees the professional development curriculum for the entire graduate school population, utilizing real-time labor market data. Dr. Wilkins has designed, coordinated, and taught classes, workshops, and webinars focusing on career readiness, reaching nearly 10,000 participants. Also, in January of 2001, Dr. Wilkins created and began to host the Be Career Ready podcast, an innovative and helpful resource for all listeners. Dr. Wilkins, thanks so much for being here today. We're excited to have you. Thank you for the invitation to be part of your podcast channel. Of course, of course. So I want to start at the beginning, as always. And when we're talking about hiring and interviewing and all that stuff, that, that really is the beginning for a lot of people. So when, when you're working with, with students, with professionals, how do you start that process? How do you even get into the right mindset to do a resume, get ready for an interview? Where does that even begin for you in your process? When we're working with graduate students, we really are thinking about where are they on that pathway to being ready to apply for jobs. We think of job materials as everything from their LinkedIn profile being optimized to traditional job materials such as a resume or um, their cover letters. That's a big one. And then of course, their ability to be prepared to handle the interview process, which we know now is oftentimes three to eight interviews with a company before an offer is extended. And there's many different types of interviews. There's the digital one-way interview, which we have to help prepare them for, as well as the online two-way interview and in-person interview. So we take them where they are. And then from that, we start to decide, well, what parts of the job search process do they need to begin to think about? And then we fold in the very important part of real-time labor market analytics. We help them, we get them to be thinking about what's happening in the real job market today and then crafting their LinkedIn profile, cover letter, resume, and their ability to talk in an interview around the most cutting edge skills that are in their particular occupation of interest. So I, I, I want to start with more of the, I don't know, antique process of, of, of finding a position and, and, and searching for a job. Are are resumes, are cover letters important? Or is that something we should just completely scrap and ignore and never have to work on again? Oh, they're very important. Okay. <laughs> have them. But, you know, I think the percentage or the statistic that individuals need to realize is that only 20 to 30% of jobs are ever 
listed on a general board. Oh, wow. So that said, that leaves what 70 to 80% of jobs that need to be found through networking. Whether you're networking and you get an inside track and somebody introduces you or shares your resume with the hiring manager or division head, you have to have those good job search materials ready to go. You should have a cover letter ready to go. You should have obviously your resume optimized and your LinkedIn profile. Even if you don't apply through Indeed or LinkedIn or some other common job sources, you really do need to be prepared. Now, that's during all of this, you, you've mentioned LinkedIn and, and that profile as one of those things. I, I think there's two different kind of mentalities when it comes to LinkedIn. Either someone's super invested and committed to LinkedIn or someone absolutely has no clue and, and doesn't utilize it at all. Um, for for people that may be exploring other industries that might not rely so much on technology, is LinkedIn something that has become an essential staple or is that still one of those things that just looks like something good for more of the overachiever type thing? I like your question because it really begs the question, does a person need a LinkedIn profile to be successful? Well, the yeah. answer is no, but it is the largest professional social media platform there is. And it's about connecting with like-minded individuals. And the place mm -hmm. to do that is through LinkedIn. Of course, creating your account and then building your connection numbers is critically important. LinkedIn has algorithms that when you have 300 or more connections, you will get more attention by recruiters and hiring managers. What I like about LinkedIn, not only does it give you access to people who are in your field to continue to learn and to read what they post, but also there are occupation specific groups and you can become a member of, well, according to LinkedIn, up to a hundred groups, which is a pretty sizable number of individuals to group with, but that's a wonderful option that's there. And we do know because of search engine optimization that many people use the LinkedIn recruiter platform in which to find individuals to work at the company that maybe they're a corporate recruiter or maybe they're a headhunter. They work for a variety of companies and they're looking for a particular sector. Like maybe they hire people who are in the data analyst field. And so they're looking for, you know, budding data analysts, if you will. So I think they need a LinkedIn profile to answer your question, Russ. I yeah. Do uh, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, just thinking about uh, the nowadays the world, how, how fast is evolving and the, the networking that you were talking before, like LinkedIn is like a platform that exposes you to, to make connection to people that are not part of your university system or like even from different uh, parts of the world, right? So it's kind of like put you out there, increase your visibility and give you the, the chance to be reached from some opportunities that, as you said, they are like, I didn't know about this number, like 20% to 30% are, are the ones that are shared. Uh, I mean, it's, it's um, critical uh, for nowadays market. Absolutely. I know I just talked to a chemistry PhD student yesterday who had connected with 
a peer at UCLA. He had completed his master's degree in chemistry there and uh, shared with this student here at NIU about a woman who is now at the University of Chicago and has a joint appointment with Argonne. And she is doing a, a workshop on Thursday night this week, but he heard about it through LinkedIn. Mm. She is considered the leading authority on battery development. He would never have known about that opportunity had he not had a LinkedIn profile, had he not had that connection to his peer back at UCLA and saw the news feed. So he signed up and he's going to be part of that professional development opportunity on Thursday night and joining hundreds of other people who are in chemistry and battery development and on the leading edge of what's happening in that field. It's a great opportunity to connect and think about our NIU alums. Huskies help Huskies. And NIU Alumni Association has a very robust group alumni group, almost 160,000 alums. And our students can query that list of alums and engage with them. Maybe they need a position in Austin, Texas. They can look in Austin, or maybe they want to work for a particular company. And they can look by company, by state, by city, and they can find Huskies who graduated from their very own program who can help them in their job search. So as you're talking about those those connections and, and developing that that broader network within those things, I found it really intriguing what you utilize and, and you've already mentioned it, but that real time analytics when when trying to position students and professionals for 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 the marketplace. Can you define a little bit more what that actually means? That sounds absolutely awesome, but but what does that actually look like more on the, the ground level? The graduate school, when we started to build the career and professional development office six years ago, made an informed decision that we would use real-time labor market data as our curriculum. And so we have the career pathway dashboard that is a power BI visualizations that is represented on a SharePoint site that has 24-7 access to any student at NIU, bachelor's, master's, doctoral, staff, student, uh, staff, faculty, administrators. And we use big data and we have mapped every program at NIU to today's job market. So for example, an OMIS student, an OMIS student at the master's level right now, according to today's job market, can go into 296 occupational pathways. A person in finance at the master's level can map according to today's job market using the SIP code, our master's degree SIP code at the finance level to 102 occupational pathways. MBA, 125 pathways. Marketing, 85 occupational pathways. And what we do is we expose for students, we help them to see what's happening in the job market. What are occupations that fit with the degree that they're working toward, but then we take it a step further. After they uncover those occupations, we tell them or we ask them to reflect and decide which two or three are you most interested in, and sometimes they're not sure. So we go the next step and we ask them then, well, now use the skills explorer that we have and what 
they can do is they can literally look at the skills that are in today's job market based on a taxonomy of necessary, defining, distinguishing, and salary booster. Where are those data coming from? They're coming from 3.4 million job postings every day that are brought, their um, bots go out to 45,000 job boards and using machine learning and natural learning, natural learning, natural language processing, NLP, they end up parsing that data. They deduplicate information and they create a taxonomy based on the skills that are in job posting. So then student can say, you know, I'm interested in being a data uh, analyst, but in the area of healthcare. You know, there's a difference between a data analyst in healthcare, data analyst in finance, data analyst in business performance. But they can then dig down deep and look at the skills that are in today's job postings and honestly reflect and say, I have that skill. I don't have that skill. Oh, I don't have that skill. Oh, but I have these other two skills. And then they use that information to one, populate their LinkedIn profile and resume cover letter. And they talk about them in the interviews, the skills that they have that we know are in today's job market. And then for the skills that they don't have, that is an opportunity for them to think about, well, this fall or next spring or in summer of 2023, I have some choices and classes I take or in the classes that I'm required to take, I'm going to be learning these skills that I don't have. And then of course, if they can't get those skills, we encourage them to look at you know, Udemy, Udacity, Coursera, um, you know, DataCamp. There's all these other companies now that allow individuals to learn new skills. We even uh, share with them who are the top employers in the country and where in the country are the most robust hiring metropolitan statistical areas. And so all of that information is available to the students using the Career Pathway Dashboard. And when we started down this path, six years ago, we never realized where it would lead us. And students who understand the job market, know the skills, leverage those skills in their job search materials, talk about those skills in job interviews, they're getting jobs faster. Recruiters are coming to them. They're not even directly applying. And then we encourage the students to conduct informational interviews, which is now really robust. Uh, they can talk to individuals that are in occupations and hold job titles that they're interested in. And they're verifying that, yes, these are the skills I need to learn. These are going to give me a competitive edge. Wow, Dr. Wilkins. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And, and again, this, this episode, I, I like it a lot because it, it, it brings so much I care about. So you're talking about a lot of this information that you have available come from data and analysis so big data so you guys are really exposing students with some facts rather than say oh my friend is working in this company you should just join or you need these skills to compete because you know this professor is telling you but rather as you were saying like using big data and using nlp to decode those jobs and uncover the skills they're going to be required in those jobs and i think this is a big disconnect when i talk to my student in class sometimes ask them what you want to be what you, what you want to be uh and then maybe they they don't know yet or they give me answer like a data analyst and then I ask them okay what a data analyst does and and then we realize that 
probably are talking about becoming a data scientist, which is not the exact same thing. It's not the exact same position. And so, as you said, you need to customize your resume and you need to uh, adjust it, right? Your skills based on what you really are, care about. And the other reason why I like this episode is because my mom has been orienting people for 25 years, finding jobs and careers and skills. And so uh, I think I think the, the job that you guys are doing is extremely important for, other stu- for our students for make them more marketable and preparing the job market. market. But my question is, um, y- you mentioned that this dashboard is available to the student. How many, how many students actually use it ahead of time uh, to, to kind of identify what courses they should take and how many they just use it last minute, just when you know they are done with their classes and they're looking desperately for a job? I'm pretty excited to share that because we use Power BI, we can see the data analytics of how many people go and look at the career pathway dashboard. We're very excited to share that this year we're going to be over 3,000 users and very unique users. Uh, We do get students who come to us more in their beginning of their degree program, some in the middle, and of course we have some that come at the end. That's a little more problematic because we have less time for them to understand the job market, but we do make it possible. We offer two career classes, 601 and 602, that they can take for zero credit or one credit, and that allows them to work on their LinkedIn profile and do informational interviews in the 601 class. and 602, we use that career pathway dashboard to Uh, ramp up their resume and their cover letters and of course practice their interviewing skills. We're pretty excited about the fact that the Career Pathway Dashboard has received national attention. Our approach garnered recognition in the Wall Street Journal in 2021 for innovation and we also have been approached by quite a few R1 or Research One institutions, uh, Michigan, Boston College, Yale, uh, Georgia, Ohio State, the list just goes on and on, and <laughs> medical schools who said, wait a second, tell us how you're doing that. So we uh, share with them our approach. We do not share our proprietary proprietary design in how we built the Power BI visualization that is owned by NIU and, and, and what we do. Um, but they are very intrigued because they keep saying, wait, that just seems so straightforward. And we're like, but it is. And if you're going to help people be job ready. We need to make sure they understand what that means and that they can think about where they are on that path. Because as you just mentioned, some of them will say, I want to be a data analyst. I've had a number of students tell that to me. I said, well, which of the five are you going to be? And they're like five. I said, well, yes, there's data analyst general, there's data analyst, business performance, finance, healthcare, marketing. There's a senior data analyst. Every one of these occupational pathways have a very granular set of skills. And you need to understand what they are because maybe you're, you're wanting to go in one direction, but maybe you're a better fit, as you said, for being a data scientist or a business analyst or business intelligence analyst. Do you have the data visualization skills? Are you learning those skills in your classes? And that's one thing our newest part of our career pathway dashboard, we are mapping 18,000 syllabi to the current job market data that we have. So now a student who says, I need a class in uh, Salesforce, here's where it's taught on campus. 
I need Python. Python is one of the most transferable skills across literally hundreds and hundreds of occupations. Where can they get that? So we're mapping the syllabi to the labor market data. And by just a simple push of a button or typing in the skill that they're looking for, we can tell them where those skills are taught on campus. It, it's truly incredible to see what can be done when resources are placed in the, in the right area and connecting education and those opportunities with the real world and that marketplace, which I feel uh, that that's a real easy talking point for people to kind of um, condemn some of the more traditional academic pursuits when it's like, well, you don't need an, uh, a degree anymore, just go get a certificate online and you're fine. When, when we can, as a educational institution, connect those things and, and bridge that traditional academic pursuit with the real world marketplace and blend, there, there's nothing that compete against that. And, and what you're discussing right here, Dr. Wilkins really shows that the value of that. But I wanna, um, as we're doing all of that stuff, and this is more going to probably be more of your opinion within this, and, and I'm going to try to switch you to the other side, more of the hiring side of this stuff. Um, as companies are trying to streamline the hiring process, uh, utilizing you know, different analytics programs, you know, running resumes through softwares and picking out keywords, all of those different things that, that are now a part of the hiring process. Are we as, as humans, as a humanity, are we missing some of those intangible elements of a person when applying? Or do you feel like that's better and we're removing some of the inherent bias? I, I can kind of see both sides. So I'd be very interested in your opinion. I see it as both sides as well. Applicant okay. systems have changed how we do business uh, for when uh, applications are processed. And now because of the AI and the online vendors like HireVue, SparkHire, VidCruder, we use a platform at the grad school that students can use for free called Standout. It has all the same AI capabilities and comprehension scores we get students to use that tool so they become desensitized to seeing themselves on screen. Um, the reason why we use those systems, especially applicant tracking systems, is because it's federally mandated. About 15 years ago, every entity that has 100 or more employees must report every September who applies to their programs. Uh, or applies to their companies or businesses or higher ed institutions. And so those programs have made it easier for entities to make those reports. There are some pieces that are coming out now about the AI part, the psych part, the IO psych part, when they are conducting 50, 75, 100 interviews just using the one-way digital platform so you really never talk to anybody at the company. They have a series of questions that you answer and they are using the AI to vet people. And there are some biases there, even from an AI perspective, because mm -hmm. taking the human part out of the watching another human speak with you. So um, I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you, Russ. I, I think there's always going to be a bias, even as human beings, when we interview somebody, we bring a bias to the table, whether we readily admit to it or not. Um, but we are moving forward with these technologies. As I told students, you know, we have to work with what we know 
and uh, it is what it is. We always have to put our best foot forward. Yeah, they're definitely not going away within that stuff. So uh, as we're transitioning back to more of the applicant side of it, then um, we know these tools exist. And and because of it, um, coming from a background of binary, black and white, yes and no, there there's a little bit of... Um, manipulation, I feel like that can be done, or maybe that that's a, a negative connotation, more of a readiness, like you said, that if we're putting in the right keywords, or, or we're, we're prepared to acknowledge certain things that might trigger the AI in a positive way, are, are we then teaching people as, again, society, not just NIU specifically, how to kind of cheat the system just to kind of overcome that obstacle and then once you get to the real person then hopefully you'll be good enough or I'm, I'm not really articulating what I'm trying to but you see where it can kind of be like well we're not even presenting who you are we're just presenting what the system isn't going to knock out correct I call it beat the bots <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. Then I'm not the only one sitting here thinking it's confusing. So thank you, Dr. Wilkins. I always teach you to say, okay, how, how are we going to beat the bots? Because inevitably you're going to run into those. And I think that that's something that how you put together a resume that's going to, you can't skill stuff anymore because ATSs are too, they read for context, grammar, spelling, punctuation. But the way that you load a skill, because today's job world skills are the job genome skills mm. and they've been the job genome they're just going to get more and more finite as time moves on but i teach students that there's certain ways to put together your resume we'll use that as the first example here that if it's a python language or it's r or pycharm or whatever you put that in the professional summary you put it in your skills section and you put it in your work experience section if you did a project with it put it there you can weave those skills throughout the resume itself. And then by doing that, it's raising your algorithm score. That's what I call beating the bots. As for an actual interview as a second example, when you're doing either a digital one-way or even a two-way conversation with somebody, you need to know what the job posting, what they're asking for. Not only the hardcore skills, but the human skills. The pandemic has changed everything about working with other people and team solving, problem solving, uh, you know, just communication. These are now heavily emphasized skills. So how do you talk about that? How do you bring that to the table? How do you bring your best self? And I'm a huge fan of saying you should come to every interview with five stories in your back pocket. One is about a success, two, a mistake or failure, three, teamwork and collaboration, four, service to others, and five, personal growth. If you can think of projects you've done in class, or if you had the fortune of being part of the ELC or an internship, uh, or even just work experience, maybe you're working full-time and going to school, graduate school, or undergrad is a part-time endeavor. How can you take your work experience and wrap stories around those five areas that allow you to talk about those human skills and obviously occupational skills? That will serve you well. And then that will help you to be a great storyteller. It's all about networking and storytelling. Now, 
And I think that that does give you greater favor from an AI perspective and from a human being hearing you. Because as people, we tell stories all the time. And being a storyteller when applying for jobs is a skill that you need to have because people will remember your stories. That that um, that's a really interesting way, and I, and I like I like bringing that up because I, I I've struggled with seeing um, kind of the way a lot of the the hiring practices are going. It's making it much more um, again binary within that stuff. And by looking at someone's story, I, I feel like we still get to the essence of of who they are. Um, so my next question in here is when when we talk about business and we see businesses that are successful, one of the very first things we see is innovation, adaptability, flexibility, thinking outside the box. As hiring is uh, shifting more to making people fit literally within a box, checking a box, beating a bot, whatever we want to call it, are we then um, eliminating that that inherent innovation or creativity in humans? Or how, how do we try and tease that out or even on the reverse side, show that in a more confined kind of process? More often than not, industry and business and higher education, nonprofit, they're looking for an individual who fits uh, the type profile of an employee that they're used to, you know, that they are, com that they commonly hire. Now, once you're hired on the job, so much of it then becomes how do you fit and how do you contribute? There is opportunity for growth and entrepreneurial uh, behaviors within companies. And, you know, the first and second job that people have, it's not their forever job. So you can get hired if you feel like you're in that box and you're not able to grow, you're not able to extend yourself as a professional, you're lacking that professional growth, they're probably going to leave and go to another company or another business. I would hope that we would continue to honor people where they are. I know one of the big trends in 2022 is that companies um, are sometimes having a hard time finding good quality people. So it's becoming a, uh, a buyer's market, not a seller's market, mm -hmm. in any sense. So uh, companies are going to be more flexible today in your work patterns. When you go to negotiate your contract, the ability to ask for maybe a different work hour day instead of maybe starting at eight or nine o'clock, maybe you want to start at seven o'clock or at 10 o'clock and work later. Those things are becoming very uh, common in the job market today because employers want great employees. And because of the pandemic, the world changed, how we work, where we work has changed. I'm not sure if it'll ever go back to what it was before. Well, time will tell. So I think that uh, your question is a cogent one. Are we putting people in a box? I think the answer is yes to some extent, but haven't we always been doing that? That's a very good point. <laughs> I I kind of want to go back uh, to some some of the points uh, you were raising before by talking about fit, and uh, I can I can remember my experience in the job market, which I know academia is a little bit different, but uh, I think one of the reasons why I ended up at NSU was because I was looking for fit also for me. You know, the company is looking for candidate that fits within the company, but how much is important for the 
people that apply because I, I hear students applying to 30, 40 jobs at the same time. And I was, I, I'm questioning that and say, how can you like to work for all these companies at the same time? Can you just narrow down to a few of them where you believe you can fit? Uh, because it's a two-way fit, right? If, if I didn't feel comfortable or feel like at home when I interview here at NIU, I would have probably not chosen NIU to come and work, right? I, I think it goes both ways. As you say, it's more of a, uh, you know, it's a market in favor of the, the applicants, not of the company. So how important it is for somebody that is applying to identify those companies that they believe is a fit for them rather than apply to all of them? I've seen a shift in how people think about what companies or entities they want to work with. So many individuals now tell me, I want to work for a company who holds the same values that I do. And they're becoming more selective and who they won't work for, if you want to think of it from that perspective. A strategy that I know some of them are now really focused on is they'll pick their top 10 or 20 companies that fit with their vision. And then they will look at their LinkedIn profile, they will work at the Alumni Association, and they will find people who work at those companies that they can talk to through an informational interview with the idea that they that individual can become a booster for them to get their materials to somebody within the company for them to be considered for a position. They've narrowed their list to those 10 or 20, but I also have students who apply literally for hundreds of jobs, which I think is a bucket load of work, especially if you know that only 20 to 30% of jobs are ever make, are going to make it to a job board. So many jobs are never, ever published. So I'm, I'm an advocate of, let's talk about networking. What does that look like? How do you go about doing that? Let's say you're an introvert. We work with a lot of students who going into a, at a big conference or even going to a job fair is overwhelming for them. So how do you work that angle? Or how do you work with the gregarious person who can go into any situation, talk to anybody and really just synergizes, you know, but networking, who is in your network? Who are the top people in your network? Who do they know that could help you make connections? How are you going to talk with people? Are you going to be leveraging the online opportunities for networking as well as the face-to-face -face opportunities for networking? These things uh, students have to think about, and we don't talk about networking enough. That's my personal opinion. We need to take more advantage of that. I always tell people, it's your first semester at NIU, go to a job fair, go to a job fair, get dressed up, go practice talking to people, start to interact with people, connect with people, start to begin that process, discover companies that really resonate with you or companies that you say, I just don't see myself working for them. And here's the reason why. And I think also like on, on this line, I think it's also very important to be prepared when you go to an interview. So if you apply to hundred different companies, you're not gonna have enough time like to get to know the company, what is their core value, what is gonna be exactly the position that is framed for you. Uh, and the other thing I've noticed is, uh, I going back to the storytelling, sometimes students don't really understand what is their strength. So you kind of need to push them and push their limit to understand that like they're really good in something they didn't even believe they, they were possible doing. Like I, I bring up the example of coding and every semester I start the semester and they say, I'm not good at coding. Uh, but then when we go through the semester, they say, oh, we want more. 
right? So, so sometimes it's the two ways between like, they don't know what they really want or they don't know what they are capable of that limit their ability to story tell to somebody else what they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe the economic status that push them to just apply and get the money as soon as possible that limit them to prevent them to get better opportunity uh, for their future. I mean, that's my o- opinion by, you know, being a class, but I wanted to know what, what is your perspective on this? They need to really reflect. They need to think about who they are, but also stretch themselves. I really like the fact that just about every program at NIU has electives and they need to think about what are those elective choices and to, to, you know, to try out different classes. They may find that there's something there that they never realized. They also need to be open to the fact that they may really like coding and maybe they can't fit it into their schedule, all the things they want to do. So where could they get those skills? Could they potentially take it at an outside vendor? Could they get it by working on a personal project that they are, you know, doing on the side just to build a skill set? I agree that they don't know what they don't know. Unfortunately, most individuals come to college with the understanding that they will be put on the, I call it the curriculum conveyor belt and they work their way down the conveyor belt and they take the classes that they're supposed to. And when they get to the end and they graduate, they'll have all the things that they need to hit the job market. And I don't believe that that's a very good process personally. I think you need to have a better sense right away when you come to the university, what's available to me? How can I get the greatest advantage from this degree program? How am I going to find that information? Who can I talk to? So what I'm advocating for is when you come to college, whether you're an undergrad, master's, or doctoral student, you should immediately be thinking about your career pathway. That's the best way to prepare, be prepared for the job market, because then you can uncover maybe what you're truly interested in. Maybe you really thought it was data visualization, but maybe it is coding, or maybe it's something with protein research versus animal research. There's just such a variety of things that can happen, but you have to start early. So Dr. Wilkins, when we're, when we're exploring all of these different things and and you're looking at that stuff, I like to think of some of the more, I guess for graduate school, it's more of the traditional student, but someone who may have had a career, gone out and done, done some career experience, whether it's five years, 10 years or 25 years, and then coming back within this stuff, maybe they're in the middle of their program and moving forward. How do you balance some of those skill sets that might have been pre-technology, pre some of the stuff that we're talking about with then what you, you're picking up now maybe in your academic pursuit and, and things like, I feel like that's a unique uh, experience kind of balancing those two. Does that make any sense? It absolutely does. We call those transferable skills. Got it. That we've done in the past. Maybe we were in a different field altogether or a related field or a second cousin field, if you will. <laughs> We want to do now. Uh, those are called transferable skills. But again, that reflection has to be mm. come to the table. The other piece that we then share with students is that we not only tell them the here and now skill wise in the job market, 
but the data that we use to a 92% accuracy will tell them what are the skills that are going to be in job postings in the next one and five years. So think of a person coming here who's going to be in a degree program for two or obviously four or five, six years, however long it takes them to get through. They are able to look at that list of skills and start to say, you know what, I used to have this old technology ability, but I see if I want to be competitive by the time I finish, I need to look at this set of skills as well, not just the here and now, but what are the projected skills? And then, so for example, um, a data analyst collectively, the next one to five years, here are some of the big skills coming out. N number one skill, Power BI. Mm. Uh, mm. Let's see, Tableau, KPIs. Let's say you're in business analyst. Uh, Tableau is the number one skill that's going to be hot in the next one to five years. Not, in fact, Power BI isn't even in that list. Salesforce, SDLC or systems development lifecycle. So students can begin to think about, you know what, I may feel outdated. I'm transitioning or transferring to another field. It's all comes down to skills. What skills do you have that are transferable? What skills do I need to garner? Because the job genome is all based on skills. Wow. Um, I, I really like the job genome too, because I, I think it, <laughs> it, it, it locks in how integral that, that all is when, when we're looking at jobs and, and kind of trying to position those things too. Um, within that, and, and you, you've touched on it a little bit with the pandemic shifting a, a lot of the way people are working, communicating. Are, are you seeing that, that some of those soft skills, and, and I, I'm identifying that as more of the, the human communication, all of that stuff, are those going to become, just projecting out opinion-wise, um, more important or as we remove kind of the water cooler element of work more and more, is, is that going to be less important? Do you not have to be friendly and cordial nearly as much when as long as you answer your email and, and the work gets done, it, it, it's done and, and you're, a, you're a good employee? We have data to back that up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really important to the actual job skills, you know, an occupation specific skill, if you will, like I consider someone in data analyst, you know, the Tableau, the data visualization tools, Power BI, uh, the use of KPIs, um, you know, th those are what I call occupation specific skills, but the ability to problem solve and be a solid communicator to write well, to um, be a, you know, critical thinker, those are equally important. We have the data to back that up. Wow. So, so I, I, I think as, as we're kind of looking through this stuff, people are, are, are trying to almost hide or trying to ignore some of those skill sets like, okay, well, if I can work from home virtually, that's, that's not important or vice versa. If I can work in, in the office, I don't need um, Python or I, I might not need to develop those skill sets. Uh, is is our workforce and, and our marketplace shifting more to uh, always 
needing to learn like lifelong learners more than ever or, or do you see that this could kind of be uh kind of going backwards that once you maybe learn uh python or power bi you're locked in and you can do your job for 25 years and then retire happily no it's always changing <laughs> where it's at i think everyone should keep an eye on the companies that are offering uh, skill development and either buying stock in those companies or uh, creating your own company to be a competitor. But the Udemy, Udacity's Coursera, uh, CourseDog, uh, DataCamps, I mean, they just keep going, LinkedIn Learning. They all provide a service that people value. They're taught by experts in the field. They mm -hmm. have projects associated with them. Uh, you get a certificate for them. That holds cachet in today's job market. We also know that many companies and businesses to enhance the professional development of their employees are using those platforms where people can have a a la carte, if you will, selection of classes that they can take for a very reasonable amount of money, which is concerning for me as a university employee because I mm -hmm. would people come back to the university to get their education. But I think it's a game changer and people have learned to learn online. The pandemic has hastened that. And I believe that people need to continue to learn. I mean, the thing about technology, it's always growing and changing, right? Mm -hmm. I remember when Power BI started, you know, I started working with it five and a half, six years ago. The platform feels different now. It looks different. It has new features. I mean, it's always changing and we have to stay on top of our, our abilities and, to be on the leading edge of something, not to be in the middle or behind. I um, I, I want to talk, and, and this might be a little bit beyond your knowledge base, but I, I think you're you're starting to address some of a new trend within like micro certifications and and those mini kind of I, I went I took this class now I have this and I can move forward with that. Um, do you see that trend becoming? Um, continuing or becoming more important? And then how do you uh, kind of identify those in interviews or resumes when you may have done um, a Coursera, you know, kind of workshop or, or something like that? Mm -hmm. Micro-credentialing has- Yes, thank you, micro-credentialing. Thank you, sorry. <laughs> it's grown quite a bit in the last 10 years. And I have um, hearing of universities, even Northern Illinois is experimenting now with- uh, micro-credentialing or micro-credential add-ons to degree programs or starting with a micro-credential and moving into a degree program. Um, that's very much uh, on, it's been increasing in the last, well, 10 years. I mean, the, the market's gotten pretty full, but that I think is definitely um, something we need to continue to think about as a university, as, as students, as past students, as, as alums of NIU, what does that mean to us? How can we help? Maybe we could give back to the college of business or give back to the university and provide those opportunities or internship opportunities for students so that they can garner those pieces. But I know when you go on a job interview and you put that information in your resume and in your LinkedIn profile, those certificates hold value. There was just an SAP two-week workshop through NIU that the students took advantage of and having that on their LinkedIn profile is going to be a value add. 
And I'm so grateful that NIU provided that. So I, I know we're, we're kind of getting close to time here. So I, I'd like to end this with one, one of the more broad questions that I'm going to ask you. And I, I'm really looking for kind of a a piece of advice or pieces of advice that, that you would recommend to anyone who's searching for a job now, whether, you know, again, coming out of a career of 25 years or just starting, what's, what's a piece of advice you would encourage everyone to do that, that will only make that search process uh, more fruitful or uh, the experience more beneficial? Where would you kind of land on that? Understand where the job market is today. And as part of that, I would strongly suggest that individuals need to be aware of the many career pathways available to them by graduating from a program. It's not just one or two pathways. It's literally tens and sometimes hundreds of pathways to be cognizant of what those are and to choose those couple that you're really passionate about. And as we've been talking about here, know what skills are part of that occupation, not only today in today's job market, but what's projected because skills are the job genome and start early. The minute you come to a campus and that's what you should be asking when you're looking at uh, programs what does your program provide? What does this program provide relative to helping me be job ready? Tell me, what does that look like? How, who's going to be helping me and start in the first semester? Starting early is going to give you the greatest edge in the job market. Wow, Dr. Wilkins, that is that is a very beneficial piece of advice. And, and thank you so much for your time. I found this to be informative and resourceful. So you're, you're, wisdom and your time is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for the invitation. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. And if you are so inclined, please feel free to give us those five-star ratings, which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway. Thank you all for listening. And remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today. Mm -hmm.